Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Solar Punk Futures, Solar Punk Magazine's podcast. Uh, really excited to be talking today with Phoebe Wagner, who is uh, an author and an educator who's uh, really sort of been at the forefront of uh, the solar punk movement, particularly on the literary side, but not necessarily exclusively there, um, but really kind of been at the forefront of solar punk um, since early on in, in the movement's history, uh, you know, for a, a good decade or so. Um, so really excited to talk with Phoebe about their past work and the solar punk novella that they have uh, coming up, releasing just in a day or two. Um, and so, yeah, let's with that, just uh, dive right into it and talk with Phoebe. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about solar punk and the new book. Yeah, great. Um, so, I mean, let's, I guess, kind of start at the beginning, so to speak, uh, and tell us, you know, how you kind of got into solar punk in the first place. Um, and then about kind of the first book that you that you and uh, one of your editing partners put out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think my name is primarily known for co-editing Sunball's Stories of Solar Punk and Eco Speculation, which came out in 2017 from Upper Rubber Boot Books. And at the time when um, my co-editor Bronte Wheeland and I proposed it in 2015, uh, Solar Punk was just starting to get a little bit more known, particularly on social media spaces like Tumblr. There had been the Notes Toward a Manifesto by Adam um, Flynn had come out the uh, like the year before, and we were just really excited and felt that there needed to be a sort of general English anthology that not just only focused on fiction, but also included art and poetry as well. And so we were really lucky that Sun Vault was able to include all three. The really only thing that was kind of missing was nonfiction, which then my co-editor and I went on to remedy later on so yeah yeah uh yeah great um so then uh tell us i guess a little bit about that non-fiction book that that you all just put out if i mean if i'm i'm and maybe i'm wrong but if i'm not mistaken it's also the first solar punk non-fiction book that's been put out there i mean at least in like actual collected book form yeah, yeah. And that was really the one thing we felt was missing from um, Sun Vault was nonfiction, particularly since solar punk is not just a literature and not just an art form, but also thinking about how do we actively take these ideas and create this better future right now? How do we work towards that? And we felt that nonfiction um, was a really was a path forward to sort of start inspiring that. And so um, Almanac for the Anthropocene, a compendium of solar punk futures came out from West Virginia Press, um, University Press in uh, fall of 2022. And we, um, and it is the first full collection of nonfiction, Arizona State University and their Center for Science and Imagination, which has some really great free um, download books. They have nonfiction in theirs too, but this was a full nonfiction collection. Um, so it was the first in that sense. And yeah, and what we really were hoping when my co-editor and I sat down with that to propose that book was that it would include not just essays, but also a lot of like blueprints, recipes, like things that could actually be done in the moment in addition to more theoretical pieces. And that was actually really interesting for us because we hoped that it would be the majority would be those sort of blueprints and recipes. And we actually found that there was really hard to gather all of those. Um, now, granted, this was pre-pandemic. We started doing this in 2019. I think since then, we've seen a real shift in solar punk where there are a lot of people that are experimenting with different ways to, um, to engage in that kind of technology and that kind of thinking in the moment, particularly after sort of the mutual aid swell that we saw during the pandemic right. um, and, and continue to see right now. Um, and so I think that 
was also a little bit of a different time. But I hope that what we do find, what we did collect in this book, which includes everything from more academic leaning pieces about how to engage with non-human and more than human to practical things such as how to plant food bearing trees in your area. Um, so it is a very wide ranging book. Um, but I hope that that inspires people to think about, okay, how can I practically start to engage in this solar punk thinking right now, in addition to imagining more positive futures? Great. Yeah, it's it's a really great book. If if uh, anyone listening out there hasn't picked it up yet, uh, highly recommend it. Um, as well as Sunball, of course. Um, I mean, that's just kind of a foundational book that you should you know probably read among your first anyway when you're getting into solar punk. Um, so then, I mean, now sort of, I guess, continuing on down the line, you 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 did a. a um, fiction anthology and then you put out a non-fiction anthology with with poetry and art of course and fiction anthology um and so and so then now this uh like right around the corner um you have your first uh solar punk novella that is being released um with full you know full disclosure like it's a, a big huge deal um with android press that is very much affiliated with and the publisher of solar punk magazine um and i was the editor for the book when we hold each other up um so this is obviously going to be a super hard-hitting and like in-depth report yeah clearly <laughs> <laughs> we're going to expose some shit. um but so uh why don't you tell so the, again it's a, a solar punk novel it's called when we hold each other up um which is a i mean i just fell in love with the title right away um when when i saw the proposal um so why don't you tell us i guess as, as best you can without you know giving away big spoilers for for people um tell us what the the book is about give us kind of a a nice little synopsis yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm not great at synopsis, so we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> but um, but yeah, this book is, um, it's really starting to think, I really want to think about storytelling and the stories we tell ourselves and how that impacts culturally, how we think about community, how we think about family, how we think about the future, um, how we think about the past. And so that was sort of the sort of seed for this. So our main character, Rowan, really wants to be a storyteller in the future. And this story is ultimately looking at, um, it's sort of a bit of a quest narrative a bit of a travel narrative and so Rowan meets a non-human named Eduardo um, who is what in this world is called a harmonizer and a harmonizer looks very human but sort of has this ability to connect in different ways through um, through to the larger living world so they can sense the living world in a different way than humans can um, and so what prompts Eduardo and Rowan meeting is that the city that is near where Rowan lives is expanding and it's going to include the space that Rowan lives in and Rowan, the space that Rowan's family lives in. And they don't want to see that happen. So instead, um, Eduardo comes and warns them and then Rowan and Eduardo end up traveling around to several different communities to continue spreading this warning so that way other communities have the choice about whether or not they want to join this expanding urban space or if they want to shift to a different way of living and sort of move. And so over the course of this novella you get to meet a couple different sort of solar punk style communities and by the end Rowan and Eduardo have to sort of face their past and their connections to the city and um, see what happens so I'll leave it there I think. Oh yeah, that's great. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about those communities uh, in a minute, but um, there's a, a, an interesting thing with the harmonizers um, that, that right there, like, 
their purpose is to help like be a solution to climate change right and 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 kind of guide humanity towards a better way of living but there's also a lot of tension around them right like in a lot of ways for all and i mean there's there's i wouldn't so much say that there's like a villain or or and, and it's interesting about the story that there's maybe not even quite so much an antagonist really but um, but for all intents and purposes, that's kind of the role that the harmonizers fill, even though, right? So there's this weird juxtaposition. Um, so what, is, I mean, kind of, what, I guess, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Talk a little bit more about it. It's one of the really, I think, more fascinating parts of the book. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, too, because I, I really wanted to approach... One of the, my big parts of the story, too, is I wanted to have a stronger look at the non-human and the more than human. Um, you know, I think Becky Chambers' Psalm for the Wild Built does a great job at looking at the non-human from the AI perspective. Um, and this is, I think, in some ways, like a good parallel to that, where I wanted to look at it from like a non-AI perspective. Um, and the harmonizers were kind of the tool that I used for that, even though they are very human in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, the harmonizers, I wanted to show, like, basically, they've listen to their own cultural narrative and they um, and many and the harmonizers think differently so Eduardo thinks very differently than uh, the majority of the other harmonizers so not all of them just kind of the ones that we end up meeting um, and the idea was that the cultural story that they kind of believed was that when they melted from the ice due to climate change that they um, that they had this sort of desire to bring the world into what they thought of as balance. And so that meant um, treating humans in a way that, you know, continued a social collapse um, rather than just in the environmental collapse. Um, and really, I was also inspired by and thinking through, like, what do we do with um, eco-fascists? Like, how do we think about eco-fascists when we're writing solar punk? Um, and so I think we'll see, um, I think a lot of readers would see parallels to eco-fascist propaganda and what a lot of the harmonizers think and say. And so I was also thinking about that and like, what do, like, how do we approach these different communities and how do we like push back against these different communities? Um, and so that was part of what I was sort of thinking about too with the harmonizers but showing different ways of connecting with the world but also how the cultural narratives have impacted them too yeah right yeah and i have to say i like i uh, again one of the things i really liked about the book in general and just the way that the, the harmonizers were written is how um it really does um i mean i think there, at least for me there was no question that it was dealing with eco-fascism and that like that's sort of what was underlying it but it also doesn't like beat you over the head with it right so like even if if by chance uh uh someone who kind of leans that way um uh, picked up the book and read it right they wouldn't necessarily feel like they're being smacked in the face so you might actually get through to them right because they're not they're not just going to put the book down as, as something that they think is, is stupid or whatever right yeah, which I think is really important um, just from broadening out a little bit from solar punk to just environmental literature and climate fiction, because a lot of people like I will just hear people talking and they'll just stumble right into eco fascist language and I'm from knowing the people and knowing the space we're in like. I don't think that's what they're intending, you know, and so sure. it's rather that these thoughts and these ideas are in environmental literature and if you're not looking for them and sort of guarding against them, particularly older environmental literature, it's really easy to fall into that trap. Um, so I am hoping too that like if someone does, you know, sort of have those beliefs um, that they this book can be like, hey, here's let's re let's rethink this. Let's think through yeah. this a little differently here. Um, so yeah, so I'm hoping that, you know, it might be useful in that way too. But it is also entertaining. I think that's like, I think like you brought that up. That's something that I was really hoping is that it wouldn't be beating people over the head with it. That would just also be an entertaining book to read in addition to having some of these themes. Yeah, yeah, it's worked in really well. 
Um, okay, so I, then I want to get a little bit into the the communities uh, that Rowan and Eduardo visit while they're kind of on their storytelling adventure. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that talking about any of this will really include any big spoilers at all. Um, if so, I'll cut. I'll figure out a way to cut them out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, why don't you tell us? I think there's four, if I remember right. Um, so four communities that they kind of visit um, or are prompted to visit uh, on on their uh, on their travels. Uh, so I mean, uh, particularly, I guess, like, what are the what's like sort of the central right? Each community has like a central thing about it. Um, so what is that thing? And then if the, I don't know if there's are, th are they just things that you came up with because they're interesting and fun, which is awesome. Um, or, you know, is there behind any of them some, you know, some kind of like deeper symbolism or like metaphor or anything like that? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that was but, yeah, that was one of my I had so much fun writing that part. And really what sort of the inspiration for that was is so much solar punk is coming um, in the form of an anthology or like, a, you know, or like a magazine collection, like with solar punk magazine. And I think one of the great things about that is you get this diversity of solar punk ways of living. And that was one of my main concerns as we start to see more long form solar punk uh, start to happen is that we're going to lose some of that way of thinking, you know, that, that everyone's, it's going to be more homogenized if it's only sure. one voice. And so one of the ways that I really wanted to work against this um, in my own thinking, as well as just like, sort of like as in my own way as a solar punk writer, was to try and show multiple ways of living in right relationship with the world that were at odds with each other or like wouldn't necessarily all fit and show that each of these ways works, you know, like they work for the people that are making the choice to live this way. So that was really where sort of thinking about these different communities came into. So the way that they kind of go the first, you know, is um, there's the nomad community is kind of what I loosely have called it just for purposes, but it's where Rowan's family and the way that Rowan thinks is the best way to live with the world at the beginning of the book. Um, then there's the river roading community, which was really born out of my love of kayaking. Um, and so this group of, of people that decide to live in with relationship to the rest of the living world by being nomadic, but particularly with the river. And so they're following this sort of cyclical way with the waterways um, and thinking that that is the best way to sort of have a life light footprint on the world. Um, and then there's the archivist community, which if anyone's here from TikTok and listening, that's been very popular over there. And the archivist community is probably the most traditional solar punk community in a lot of ways. Like that one was where I was kind of like, all right, what are some of the tropes we see in solar punk? And I want to put them together. So it's a community that thinks that we need to protect stories and we need to save stories and we need to have this archive available to us if we're going to continue to build hopeful futures. Um, and so they have this space that they've created where they can have servers and technology um, to an advanced and high degree, but that they can also make sure that they're like rewilding the area, that they're removing um, poison from the area. It's based, it's on a quarry and based on a mine and that they can also make sure it's open to everyone. So there, that's like sort of the model for theirs. And then finally there's open gates community, which is where um, there's, it's a group of 
people that have gone into what an industrial prison complex, taken it over, and have, are then working on not only rewilding it from an ecological perspective, but also thinking about the generational trauma that is stored in a space like that and trying to change sort of the, the you know, release that trauma and be aware of that trauma. And that's where skateboarding comes in. And the skateboarders are one of the ways that sort of they bring joy to this sort of these different urban environments. Um, in particular with Open Gates, I wanted to make sure that Solar Punk is thinking about the prison industrial complex and how that is not only an environmental issue, but obviously an incredible social justice issue, but how they do overlap. Um, and so thinking about that, but also too, like so often people ask, where's the punk and solar punk? And I think it's everywhere, but I wanted to go ahead and just give a very obvious spot where the punk and solar punk was. Um, so that was where, you know, we see not only skateboarding, but direct references to mutual aid, solidarity, and some more anarchist ideology coming through those groups as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I again, I love the the different communities idea. Um, I mean, for, for one, there was, I mean, there was sort of something in each of them that I was like, oh, that was sort of nostalgic for me. Like whether, you know, being in college and sort of an academic to like, I also love kayaking. I live, I live on a small river. And so well, pretty much every day in the summer I'm out kayaking uh, for at least a little bit. Um, and then, you know, once upon a time thought I was a skater, of course, like most little boys and girls um, and others. But uh, I really, really like, I think it's really poignant right now uh, in particular kind of in the, and the history of solar punk just because for i mean and for, for better or worse um we're we're really seeing solar punk kind of bloom as yeah. as a part of the environmental activist movement right like yeah. real present day solar punk which is a really really awesome to see um, i mean i have a, a really big activist and organizing background so um I, I would never ever disparage it but also coming at solar punk from a literary perspective i've i've seen a number of times on social media right where people are like that's not solar punk or you know it's not like you know they think it's not a, something is not a perfectly green technology and so your story is greenwashing and they come and they come at you uh and and so i i really think that this sort of like the idea of different voices and it working in different ways and being right in in different forms for different people um is a good message i mean because you know to some extent i mean yeah like fascists are not solar punk like fuck mm -hmm. you um and so there are certainly lines to be drawn but i think as 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 we've gotten more into the like present day activist solar punk it's easy for us to like throw up lines that divide us even on the left right like mm -hmm. you're absolutely enough or, or you're true solar punk or whatever um and so just kind of like a reminder that like hey we're all figuring this out and you know as long as our intentions are good let's like you know be nice <laughs> be nice yeah absolutely you. and this idea that you know everyone's <laughs> going to have a different way ultimately like certain some communities will follow certain paths more specifically than others but yeah that you know even though even if two communities don't agree it doesn't mean they can't come together and do work together right mm -hmm. and so yeah that was definitely something i was thinking about and how to like try and demonstrate that on the page as much as possible yeah yeah definitely again except fascists racists yeah there's some people oh, you're yeah. like no 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 <laughs> you don't, don't get to be part of this but, um yeah great um okay well um and then i guess a, a sort of uh well maybe not the very last question but i was curious if you oh well no i have one, another specific question um that i was curious about um one of the kind of 
big themes in the book, at least I thought, um, is this, this kind of idea of an urban-rural divide, which is is a very real thing nowadays in, in, in U.S. politics, I'm sure, and, and politics elsewhere in the world as well. Um, and I live out in a rural area um, and, and came from a big city, and so um and no and I, I live in a state where it's like one big city and the rest of it is rural and so the that kind of divide politically and culturally is a big part of kind of the convert general cultural conversation here um in Oregon so that that kind of kind of particularly stood out to me uh, right with like the city encroaching further and further out um and then sort of the the attempts to deal with it one way or another um so, I mean, this being one of the novella's kind of main plot drivers, um, I was hoping you could talk just a little bit more about that tension and and uh, why you decided to include that as one of the, the story's centerpieces. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, like one of the things that I do with my writing, particularly with my solar punk writing, is I am trying to like figure out how I feel about something and like try and write my way into a deeper understanding of something. And I really struggle with with thinking about how we're going to, how cities are going to adapt in this moment and how they are able to adapt in a way that is socially just as well as environmentally just. And so some of that was me trying to work through my own thinking in a way that I came to a spot where I felt good about it. Um, right. And also too, I mean, I, I live in Pennsylvania, but I live in central Pennsylvania, a very rural area. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're surrounded by cities and um, and we're thinking about how are they going to change and expand as they need more access to fresh water, which I live in a near a major river source. Um, and then also like what is like how is the climate refugee situation going to impact some of Philadelphia is going to be underwater, you know what what's going to there's going to be a lot of change that's going to happen here. And trying to figure out like what does that start to look like um and so that was more it was a lot of me thinking about what does this look like for myself and like my community and then trying to like work that into a story um i'm also been very inspired by uh, jeff vandermeer's work just in general but also the way that in the southern reach trilogy um that the buildings come alive and i was like i need this is an important <laughs> environmental thinking step that i need to take i need to be thinking differently about buildings and cities and i need to grow in that area. Um, and so this was a way to help me do that. So that was kind of where the where thinking about it came from was was working through a lot of my own ideas um, and trying to see what that looks like in a story. Um, so that's kind of how it ended up being the major tension. But at the same time too, I really wanted to, I really wanted to the cities to become alive in an interesting way. And I felt like that was like a way to do it was if the tension was there and that we could understand the city differently by the end of the novella and, and Rowan could do that, then I felt like I would have accomplished something that was good. So you all will have to be the judge about whether or not I did that, but that was kind of where yeah. I was sitting as a writer. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it hit the mark, but like you said, uh, I, I'm sure there'll be people out there that are like, but I mean, that's- well, I hope it inspires them to write their own story then. I know, right? Yeah, go and do it. <laughs> You could find the perfect something and there'll be a whole group of trolls that just want to rip it down uh but uh okay great well um, then i guess last last question just sort of a general like are there, are there are there any other kind of key points or themes that um you really want to talk about with folks before we wrap up yeah so i think for me i was really um i and this kind of goes back to the first answer so maybe this is maybe this is circular and convenient in that way yeah, sure. um I, one of the things that I talk about a lot if, for people that have seen me um, at like conferences or some of the other events is I think about how 
the stories we tell ourselves are driving our cultural understanding of climate change. And I think solar punk can really work against that. Um, and so one of the things though that we're gonna have to do is think culturally about the tools that we have as writers, because a lot of those ways that we think about story, whether it's um, the, just the concept of beginning, middle and end, the way we think about character arcs, the way we think about like the hero's journey, um, and just how often those are the tools that we default to as writers, because particularly white um, writer, writers in the US, because that's what we those are the stories we're given right and those are the tools we're told this makes a good story because you have a beginning middle and end resolution character arc etc cetera, etc cetera. like yeah. that's what i teach my students too i, I give it a caveat i say sure. you know this is how you this is the fastest way to get published i know but it's not the only way um and so something i was thinking about in this book was how do i try to undermine that um and in some ways i think it was successful in other ways i still think the story feels too like it fits the mold in the right ways um but i think going back and forth and encouraging something i want to encourage solar punk people to think about is like how do we, yeah how do we what new tools do we build what new things like how do we build new story structures what new types of stories do we tell and figuring out ways that we can get those stories in front of other people. Maybe it's not always traditional publishing. Maybe it's more like small press publishing and the work that like Android and Solarpunk magazine is doing. But thinking about like, we can't keep telling the same types of stories, like that's not gonna work. If we're gonna start changing the culture around climate change, if we're gonna change the culture around sustainability, um, and if we're gonna make true anti-capitalism, anti-capitalist work. So I think like that was something I was really trying to do with this story. And I think just to encourage other people to play around because we're going to have to reinvent the toolbox. We're going to have to have yeah. different tools. So, so yeah, that's kind of my final thoughts. Yeah. That I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I mean, I, and I do think that you, you did, you, you hit it in, a, in at least a, a, a few areas there. Um, I mean, like I already mentioned with their, the sort of lack of, uh, like obvious antagonist or villain. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, that was a big one. Or, or at least like really in your face kind of traditional antagonist or villain. Um, and then also with, I mean, you know, and sort of like in the vein of the kind of, you know, uh, Becky Chambers cozy sci-fi um, mm -hmm. that that's becoming more more popular, but like really kind of bucking the idea of like active and physical conflict driving yep. um, the, the sort of... Um, word that I can't think of right now you know like the the peak conflict of the yeah the climax the climax yes <laughs> um I I read books I promise <laughs> um, but right and, but and and doing it in a way where um right the story is still compelling you still can't put the book down at the end of the chapter and you still there's still a very real sense of like tension and even suspense um and conflict but mm -hmm. but in the, that sort of traditional punch them up, you know, uh, kickboxer kind of conflict. Um, yeah, well, I'm good. I'm glad that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think that's one of the really kind of cool things that I think solar punk can help make more popular in literature, science fiction, fantasy literature in general is like, how do how do we write stories without having to like kill each other and beat each other up, but that are mm -hmm. still really compelling and action oriented and adventurous and right, all of those things um, still give us all the other things that we love about those kinds of stories. Um, so yeah, I thought that you did, you did well with that. Um, yeah. um, so with that, I think we're, we're about out of time. Um, I really want to thank you for joining us um, and actually kind of like helping kick off the relaunch of our, our podcast. Actually, we've been on, on a break since the beginning of the year. 
Um, so yeah, thank thank you. And so uh, folks, you can get the book right now. Either you can get it from the Android Press website, um, or you can get it from all of the other places generally that you would buy books online. Uh, if you want it in your bookstore, go go ask them. They they can find it through Ingram Spark. Uh, the more you ask the bookstores, the more they're they're likely to pull it in and carry it, and that's that's good for all of us in the solar punk movement. So, uh, yeah, thanks for for being here, Phoebe. Really enjoyed Thank talking. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>